You are now listening to Bigfoot and Beyond, featuring the OG bad boys of Bigfoot, the Dr. Heckle and Mr. Jive of Squatchology, the Chip and Dale of Bigfoot, and I'm not talking about the cartoon. Please welcome your hosts, the Bigfoot celebrity couple, Biff Clubo, better known as Cliff Berrickman and James Bobo Fay. Hey, Bobo. How are you doing, man? Pretty good, Cliff. Anything exciting going on? Uh, not really. There might be some noise. I mean, they're tearing apart the time. My next neighbor's getting their roof torn off across the streets, getting their roof torn off. So there's stuff flying in the air and slamming and all that goodness. So if we do hear background noise, it's not Sergio raising hell in your living room? Uh, I'm not going to say that. Okay. Well, it might be Sergio as well. All right. Of course, Sergio, for all you listeners, you know Sergio. He's that bird that chirps all the time. The parakeet. Parakeet. Well, that's a bird, isn't it? Yeah, he's all. You know, dude. I never knew how awesome parakeet, they're. Like dogs, like their personalities. Oh, dude, don't let them fool you, man. They're birds. They'd eat you if they could. Yeah, I don't trust birds. <laughs> the birds scare me. I don't. I just don't trust them. You know. I'm glad the dinosaurs are extinct, but they didn't finish the job, man. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, okay. I'm being a little rough. I do like owls and raptors and stuff, but I don't know birds, man. They don't have hands, so everything you do, they put it in their mouth. It's like, oh gosh, so they bite you for everything. Huh. Not many. Oh, but, and this is great. Now that all the bird lovers in the audience are going to, I'll get hate mail from them too. That's cool. <laughs> well, Bobo, we have a great episode today. Um, we have someone on the episode who is a, a longtime friend of both of ours. We've been on expeditions with this gentleman. Um, this gentleman has filmed a Sasquatch. He's been on a Finding Bigfoot episode, and um, he's one of our stops whenever we're back east and hanging out. If we can call this guy and have lunch or breakfast with him, we do it every single time. Love this man. You know him. And for everybody in the audience who does not know him, welcome to Bigfoot and Beyond, Mike Green. Hi, Mike. How you doing today, man? Gentlemen, it's great to talk to you again. I'll tell you, this is really great. This is a wonderful idea. I'm so glad you can come on. We've been meaning to have you on for a long time, but gosh, the way Bobo and I are kind of scatterbrained in general, um, it's just taken us this long to get you. So thank you very much for setting aside a little bit of time for us. Hey, anytime, anytime. Uh, I've been storing up horrible stories for 10 years. <laughs> yeah, it's been about 10 years since we did that. Mike was our main witness on the first episode back in, I guess, 2011, 10 years ago. And yeah, he, he was, uh, just to give you a little background on Mike, I think he was the chief investigator for the New Jersey Fraud Department of the District Attorney's Office or the Attorney General's Office. Yeah, and he was an Army officer. Um, so he's, he's not like me or something or Cliff, some jazz musician. He's a productive member of society, like one of the suits, I guess you call them. The suits. <laughs> You're a suit, Mike. You know, it's, it, it, it's funny. Yeah, if you looked at my resume, I'd have to admit, yeah, I was a suit. But once I got home and took off my tie, I'm sort of a Jack. I'm really kind of a Jekyll and Hyde personality, uh, and, and uh, uh, I, I, yeah, I was sooty, uh, but it was interesting stuff. But uh, my my free time was spent doing. Uh, I, I mean, I didn't go in for bowling and the PTA. No, I know. I was just busting busting balls on you a little bit, but yeah, I mean, you were like, I mean, you know, a respected professional and. All that smart guy. Yeah, well, actually, one interesting thing that I did that, that, that is sort of germane to what we, we all of us do is uh, I was uh, 
studied to become a what's called a question documents examiner, which is a basically you're a forgery expert to testify in court as an expert witness. So you you're you're taught to well, in this case, examine documents to see if they've been altered or they're true or, you know, somebody's writing somebody else's name, that kind of stuff. But it teaches you to look really closely at what you're seeing in front of you and pick it apart in your mind and with your hands and sometimes with machines to see, uh, you know, if it's real or not. Which is directly applicable to uh, like fake photographs and all that other stuff. I mean, you probably use that all the time, right? Yeah, exactly. Fake photographs, uh, you know, casts, and certainly all these uh, these uh, uh, videos that are on YouTube. But you don't have to be a forgery expert <laughs> to look at most of those. <laughs> that must just that must just turn your stomach to turn on YouTube and see all the garbage that's out there. Oh, it does. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm sort of amazed that people keep doing it. There's so much of it. Well, they're rewarded. They, I mean, the fake stuff and like the stupid stuff on there's it gets a hundred times the clicks of something that's like serious and like you know scholarly about the subject. You've also had training with dealing with people. Because uh, your, all your uh, investigations over the years, not Bigfoot investigations, like other stuff, like I have it in my head, like welfare investigations and some criminal stuff. You, you dealt with a whole swath of society. So you must have a whole just a, a laundry list of things to look out for if somebody's lying to you. I was a narcotics probation officer. I was an investigator for the public defender's office. Uh and and then and then this uh, chief of welfare fraud stuff. So yeah, I'm used to dealing with dishonest people. Boy, did you choose the right field to goof around in on free time, man? Bigfoot is full of those people. Yeah, it, oh, it certainly is. It certainly is. Yeah. Tell us how you really feel, Mike. Yeah, I will. I will. <laughs> I would, but we're on the radio. <laughs> I don't think a lot of people know you just because like you're not you're not out in front and center, you know. You don't have a group, but you do such good work behind the scenes. Um can you tell our audience a little bit about the background of what got you into the Bigfoot subject? We know a little bit about your professional sub- uh, background, but for Bigfoot purposes, what 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 brought you to us? What brought you to us was years and years ago. I've always been a camper and a hunter. And Camping's fun, but it's a lot more fun if you've sort of got something to do while you're camping other than sit at the fire and, you know, poke around in your sleeping bag and get high. Um, So I've always been interested in stuff like Bigfoot and UFOs and kind of weird stuff. So I read up on it. I thought, you know, there's got to be something to this. There's just too much. I'll call it evidence lying around for this to be, you know, nonsense. So I started going on, I'd get two weeks vacation a year. So I started going out to the West Coast, Vancouver Island, uh, California, up up in the Sierras by myself, squatching. And after a few years of this, I found out that up in, and you guys know about this, Whitehall, New York, right up at the bottom of Lake Champlain, there was a whole lot of Bigfoot activity. And that was five hours drive from my house as opposed to flying across country. So I could go up and do this on the weekends. So I started going up there and there was a uh, nature conservancy uh, 
that owned a big chunk of land that was right on the bottom of Lake, very bottom of Lake Champlain, which is like a little skinny, muddy river. Uh, and I would sneak in there with my canoe, hide the canoe in the bushes, and then go in there and camp with a thermal. And I did that for seven years. And once in a while, I would, I would, you know, I'd, I'd see like scrapes or a, a, a busted tree, uh, give me a little hope, but nothing really great. However, one night, just as I was putting the canoe in the woods, and it was it had gotten dark, a um, some two guys in a in a in a uh, motorboat pulled up, and, and they couldn't see me because it was dark. Stopped. And they were talking to each They turned the motor off, and they were talking to each other. And one guy said to the other, this is where he said he saw it. And the other guy said, yeah, boy. And then they drove off. That was it. But obviously something had happened. And this was a great spot for squatches to, 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 to live. I mean, it was very isolated and hard to get to, blah, 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 blah. Anyway, so that perked me up. And then just towards the end of all this, one night, you've all heard whoops. Uh, one night, I would, I, I would get up at three o'clock in the morning, get out of my tent and look around with the thermal and then go back to sleep and waiting for something to happen. Anyway, I was just at three o'clock. I was get, just putting my boots on to get outside. And all of a sudden I heard whoop, whoop. Whoop, whoop. so loud it sounded like somebody was screaming in my ear I mean it was just deafening and I, I've never I still haven't ever heard anything that loud but I, I said thank God so, you know finally some the squad just put a stamp on this thing and given it some reality yeah you're not wasting your time yeah, and I, you know, seven years is a long time. I, I don't know how many times I've been up there. Uh, and then, and you guys have all seen the, the the squeaky thermal that I took down here in the Uari National Forest. Pure luck. I'd never been down here in my life. My wife's uh, son moved down to Charlotte. We came down to visit him, and the BFRO was having one of their stupid expeditions in the Uari National Forest. And so I said, okay, drove down, dropped my wife off in Charlotte and drove out to the Uari to the campground. And I got there the day before everybody else did. So there was nobody there and set up. I got, I got there like at nine o'clock at night. I've been driving literally all day from New Jersey, and I'm really tired. Put up my little dome tent. Now, this is important. The campground has these tables that are built of, they're like two by 12s and cement, if you know what they're like. They're very quite sturdy, like, like dining tables, if you will, with bench seats built on either side. And I had one of these two burner Coleman stoves put the stove on the table, opened it up, and for some reason or other, I had a big stainless steel pot like you'd make spaghetti in. And I put the pot on the grill, and then I put, I had a big 
big like serving steel serving spoon put that spoon in the pot and then i said you know i don't know what i'm gonna do but i'm really beat i'm just gonna go to sleep and so i left that got in my tent and i had my little raytheon 250 thermal and went to sleep three o'clock in the morning which you all know is the witching hour three o'clock in the morning i heard and to this day, I don't know what this was. I heard a plop noise, and it, it sounded like somebody dropping a water balloon on the floor or a great big ripe tomato. There was this plop noise down in the woods. And I, I, I just sort of said, geez, I went, you know, what the heck is that? I, I didn't you know, sit bolt upright, but I was just sort of laying there wondering what that was. And this was in April, so the leaves hadn't come out yet, but there was a lot of dried leaves on the ground. And as I'm thinking, what's that plop? I heard a little scraping of leaves, just like a mouse running a little bit. And how he got up this close to me, I have no idea. But that's all I heard. The next thing I know is, and I was in one of those little dome tents, right literally over the top of the tent, uh, there were two big, what I call Darth Vader roars. Right over my head, followed by sort of a backhanded swipe whack at the tent, which I've heard other people talk about this, basically the same thing happening. Sort of a whack at the tent, not to hurt it, but sort of, hey, anybody home? kind of thing. And this all happened much quicker than it takes to tell about it. So I whacked the side of the tent back, just sort of, sort of, yeah, there's somebody here. Occupied. Occupied. And I heard it start to run away. Boom, boom. And then I heard a tinkling noise, a metallic tinkling noise that sounded, all I could think of was, it's a dog's chain link dog collar. It certainly didn't sound like a dog, but that they made this metallic noise. Anyway, I got up, went out, looked around with my thermal, nothing. In the morning, look, I, and it was the place is not conducive to fingerprints at all, uh, footprints. Anyway, I looked over and I still had this. What was this metallic noise? And about my, it was maybe twenty feet away. Is the table with the Coleman stove and the pot and the spoon, and I went over and I gave the table a shot with my hip and it made the tinkling noise. He had, in running away from my tent, he had run into the table and jarred it and made that tinkling noise. That son of a bitch, all right. <laughs> anyway, so anyway, it's, so I knew it wasn't a dog. And that all happened the night before the, the actual expedition even started. Right. That's right. I'm all, I'm all by myself. Next day, everybody shows up. I'm telling them all about this. And then three o'clock in the morning, once again, there's about five or six of us sitting at that picnic table, uh, sort of talking in low voices, waiting for something to happen. And, you know, you're, you're just sort of talking low to each other. And every 10 minutes or so, I'd get up and I'd take my thermal and I'd just scan around. And, you know, with a the thermal, you don't have to look very hard. 
it's uh, the white things really jump out at you. And so I just sort of stand around real quick and I sit down talking. On top of the thermal, I had a little baby digital video, uh, digital video recorder, a DVR that had, and this is the stupidest thing I ever did in my life. It had a 256 megabyte, not gig, megabyte SD card in it, about as small as you could possibly get. And I was saving, quote, saving that for when I'd really need it. Well, anyway, the last time I stood up, I looked around. There he was, about, I don't know, 90 feet away, walking sideways to me, uh, right to left. And sort of just like in the movies, you could just big white silhouette, hunky, you know, no neck, big arms, hunky shoulders, striding along, da-dump, 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 da-dump. And I'm watching it through the thermal. And I stupidly said in sort of a stage whisper, there's one now. And of course, everybody stopped talking. And I realized I didn't have the video, the DVR running. Duh. Yeah, because this particular thermal imager doesn't record internally. This is the old days, pretty much, of thermal imaging. Exactly. So I put it down and I, it took me about, I don't know, five or 10 seconds to get the DVR up and running. And I put it back up. And of course he was gone. And but I knew what I saw and I knew what happened the night before. I said, Son of a bitch, this is the place for me. And I mean and it, and it still is. It still is. Uh, to make a long story short, my wife said, you know, I'd really what are we doing up here? I'd like to be closer to my son. I said, Well, let's move. Let's move to North Carolina. <laughs> so yeah, like two months later, I'm living in North Carolina, 30 miles away from the best big footing spot I've ever seen in, you know, now like 10 years of this. And uh, so I started going there regularly, week after week after week. And after a few years, I got that squeaky thermal that everybody has seen. Stay tuned for more Bigfoot and Beyond with Cliff and Bobo. We'll be right back after these messages. Yeah, so back to the squeaky footage, Mike. That was taken in the same spot where you saw the one initially on the expedition, correct? Yes, it was in exactly the same spot. And that campground, it's not particularly pretty. And during the week, there's nobody there. So I'd always, and I'm now I'm unemployed. I got all the time I want, retired. So I could go, I'd go down during the week and I'd have the place to myself. And I'd go to that same campsite and the stump, where I had put the Zagnut bar that I would use for bait. And I actually, I usually used a jar of peanut butter, uh, but I'd forgotten the peanut butter and I had the Zagnut bar for myself. But so I thought, well, I'll take one for the team. And I put the Zagnut bar on, on the stump. Had the peanut butter had the peanut butter disappeared ever during that time? Yes, actually, you know, you know the regular size can of jar of peanut butter. They usually have like a, a red top that's like three or four inches across, a red plastic top, and it's a glass jar or glass or plastic. I don't remember, but anyway, you need you need a thumb and fingers to open that thing, 
and 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 a raccoon's hands aren't big enough to do it. It's you got a per you need something with hands as big as a person to open a regular sized jar of peanut butter. So I took a jar of peanut butter, opened it up, took a scoop out, smeared it on the lid, and then put it on the stump. In the next the next morning, the red lid was lying there by itself. The jar was gone, and there was no peanut butter in sight. Anyway, th- what I usually do is set up the jar. It's time I was using the Raytheon uh, with a better DVR on top of it. Set that up, point it at the stump, turn it on about 11 o'clock at night, and go to sleep. And I did that over and over and over and over. And then this last time... As I was setting it up, I heard down in the woods, I heard a rustling, like something walking around. And I thought, I'll bet you he's, since nothing had happened all these other times, I'll bet you he's watching me right now. So I put the thermal on the tripod, pointed it at the stump, and as you guys probably know the Raytheons unlike the newer th- newer uh, DV, uh, thermals don't have autofocus you had to manually focus it and I was in a rush I did, that's why you see the jelly donut instead of <laughs> more of a squatchy thing anyway I put a, turned it turned on the thermal then I got in my car and drove off I drove away from the campsite so that there was nobody else there. So obviously I had left the bait by itself and it didn't have anything to fear, so to speak. And I waited about two or three hours until I knew that the battery on the, on the thermal had run down. And then I went back and the candy bar was gone. The battery had run down and I had to wait until the next day till I got home to recharge the battery, uh, and see what I'd gotten. Uh, I'm sorry, the battery on the Raytheon and the DVR had run down. So I had to go home and plug in the DVR, and that's when I saw what I'd gotten. And uh, I couldn't believe, I really couldn't believe it. Just after all this time to finally get something like that, I I was just beside myself. It was was really neat, and I... Well, you guys know, you've seen these things, it gets to you. It gets to you. You want it's it's addicting. You want more and more and more. Yeah, I think that's the curse. You know that is often associated with seeing Sasquatches. You know, it's the curse. Like either you're not going to let it go, or it gives you PTSD. Like something happens to you. You know that even being involved in the subject for too long. You know. Yeah, it, it, I can't let it go. I mean, I'm I, I'm sort of happily hooked because it's, it's an extremely interesting, albeit expensive, hobby. Uh, it's, it's fascinating. I just wish I could get more of it, you know? And the only way to do it is to do it. Yeah, there's worse things to be addicted to. Yeah, for sure. I love seeing, it's, yeah, like you said before, I mean, the whole behavioral aspects, it's not like the clearest video thermal, but it's awesome how much like behavior it shows, like the thought process going into the squatch, how cautious they are and how they sway in the trees and crawl up. I know. I know it, 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 it sort of, when, when you, 
you're absolutely right, Bobo. When you when you know what happened, and you don't have to have somebody sort of walk you through the video uh, with the with them sneaking up and getting the candy bar. It really is the way that how cautious it was. Uh, it, it, even though he saw me drive away, he still acted like you know he had to sneak up there. And I think you driving away actually probably played a big role in it feeling safe enough to come up. And because it was one of the major flaws, I think, with Bigfooters in general, we all want to be, every one of us, I think, wants to be Roger Patterson, the guy holding or the gal holding the camera. I saw it. I filmed it. But you took yourself out of the equation. You removed your own ego from the situation. And and the Sasquatch responded in a way, you know, like it, it finally... If, finally felt safe enough to come up and, and even then knowing you weren't there, it snuck up on all fours. Yeah, it did. It did. It's, it's, uh, well, I mean, <laughs> that's why they are what they are and they're so successful because they're so careful most of the time. Yeah. And I think I'm paranoid, but I've got nothing like, like I can't hold a candle to these guys, you know, speaking. And I, and I want to just, I want to throw something in here, which is kind of neat. And I may be preaching to the choir, but do you guys know about the Fleur and Seek little baby thermals that plug into your cell phone? Yeah, sure. Mm -hmm. You do? Yes. Okay. I took one of those. I took the Seek one draws its power from the phone. The Fleur one, you have to charge it up. So the Seek one, what I did is I bought an, an, an extension cord, if you will. So that I plugged up one end into the, my phone and the other into the thermal, which is about the size of a domino. And it's on a little, uh, actually, it's a little old tent pole that goes through a little hole in the roof of my van. And it becomes a periscope. And it's this little teeny little black thing sitting up there. And all I got to do is twirl that little tent pole around and I get a 360 degree uh, a thermal view of everything around me, and the 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 as you know that the app for that that's on your phone you can record with, and you can do all the color palette stuff and all that. But for two hundred and fifty bucks, I think that is really a terrific gadget. Now, how is the resolution? Because that's one of the major factors. Not bad at all. Not bad. It's not. No, no, no. It's not bad at all. At all. Yeah. No. I'd, I'd say more than adequate. Uh, a lot depends, you know, sometimes when it's been hot all day and then it's hot at night and the trees still stay hot and blah, blah, blah. Things get a little bit kind of mushy, but not much. This, I'd say this, this, this stands up very well to others, despite only costing 250 bucks. And the beauty of it, this having to have this little tiny periscope and you could put it in the, do it in a tent just as well. Uh, when you have it on your phone, the problem is you can, you can, you can hold the phone in your hand and look, but you've got the face of the phone all lit up with the picture that the thermal is taking illuminating your face. So you can't, you're not, you're not being particularly, uh, you know, uh, unobtrusive. Uh, but this separates the camera from the phone very neatly. I, it cost me like 250 or something on Amazon to get this extension cord, and it works great. 
Yeah, that'd be the way to do it. Cause you don't want to light up your whole face looking at a phone. Cause I mean, I don't know. I, I think Sasquatches are very light sensitive. I'm assuming you guys do too. Um, and the last thing you want to do is blast yourself with a, a spotlight while you're, you know, trying to get it not to run away. Right. I, I have used this a couple of times in a tent. Uh, cause sometimes I go tent camping down there and I don't use the van and, uh, it works just as well in the tent. It's wonderful. You can stick it in your pocket. It, you know, weighs nothing. Uh, they're a really a, a terrific gadget. Yeah, where were these things ten years ago? Right when we're hauling around two fifty Ds in the woods. Oh, and things, I know, right? I know. Well, I found I found now that the the some of the uh, thermal imagers that I've got they what do they call it? Uh, I want to say view v u e. It's made by Fleur. And they, now the VUE, it, it, it's just a little standalone thermal. You, you, you put some power into it and there's a video out. It's about the size of my fist, maybe a little smaller. Uh, now they're very expensive, but the original version, which is the one that I got on eBay, I think cost me about 600 bucks. And it's great. It's it, this kind of like the pathfinders they used to have. Well, well, actually, I still have a pathfinder too. I have the pathfinder, the the Raytheon, and the View, and I stick all three of them up on top of the van at night, uh, and and let them run into the DVR with no luck. I, I have to say, but uh, are you still baiting them and with uh, peanut butter or zagnuts or whatever? You- Peanut butter is sort of my favorite. I do have uh, recordings of babies crying, babies cooing, and children like little kids playing in a playground, and fawn bleats. And and I I have fairly long recordings of all of those. And I have a little PA system in the in the van that goes through the the uh, hatch and the roof. Uh, I can really make it sort of obnoxiously loud, which I think sort of defeats the purpose, because if you're going to have a baby crying, you know, that the whole stadium can hear it, it doesn't sound too real. So I try and keep it down and hope that, well, it's going to be whatever it is, is going to be close enough to hear a reasonable volume of whatever it is that I'm, I'm playing. Uh, but but between the sounds and the peanut butter, uh, yeah, that's about it. Honey, sometimes. Uh, but uh, I think mean, Bobo, weren't you guys big on like donuts? Uh, I was big on donuts. I don't know if the Bigfoot was. And Bobo got big on donuts. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I put out all kinds of stuff. I, I, the ones I think I made such an antagonistic relationship with the ones that were that were near me. That, I, that they just never took my food. <laughs> have, have any of you had peanut butter experiences? Only in the bedroom. Yeah, this is a PG-rated show. <laughs> I've put a lot of bait out over the years or offerings or whatever word you want to slap on this thing. Um, and, and I've never had anything taken to my knowledge um, never once. And, uh, I don't know if this, they just weren't around because obviously there are very few of these things or it saw me do it or, or who knows, who knows, but I've never been successful, but I do have friends, um, beyond you, of course, that, um, say that they have been successful. And I would bring up the Nutella jar, the Nutella cast as being one of the uh, most important examples. 
I mean, this is shallow. I'll be shallow. <laughs> I want to be the guy that proves it. Now, do you carry a gun? Yes. To do that? Yes. You can edit this out if you want. No, 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 no. Every, all views are welcome. Uh, uh, my, uh, the, that, you know, my, I wrote that book, Sasquatch for Sale. Yes. Which, by the way, I'm proud to say, still sells fairly regularly on Amazon. And uh, that book was written, and uh, you guys are probably going to never speak to me again. That book was written to be politically correct. <laughs> it's all right. It does not mention that from day one, I have carried a gun. No, but you know what? I, I was surprised to learn that you were carrying around tranquilizers back in the day. Oh, yeah. You know, that at first I thought, I'm going to get close enough. When I went up to Bella Coola, I had a, a tranquilizer gun in my vet. Uh, convinced me, he, I convinced him he gave me a prescription for rampons, the name of it. It's an animal tranquilizer. They still use it. Uh, and you can order the darts and the gun through the over the Internet. And it's good for about 50 feet. But I thought, you know, well, what the heck? Well, uh, you know, I soon realized that if I ever even see one, I'll be lucky, much less get a shot at him. So I gave up. But it was kind of fun to have a tranquilizer dart gun uh, for a while. But anyway, I traded it in for the largest rifle with a thermal scope, which is what I use now. And, uh, and, I, and I, I will take 30 seconds here and give you my rather shallow rationale, which is men, for better or for worse, and probably for worse, have killed, stuffed, and eaten everything, everything, including each other on the planet. Absolutely everything. Why does this guy get a pass? All we need is one. Uh, yeah, I, I've got mixed feelings. I, I, I really do. And I feel, I, I, I feel bad, but I don't feel bad enough. I guess I'm shallow or whatever. I don't know. That's all good. You know, if you didn't feel bad at all, you would frighten me. No, I, I have really mixed feelings about doing this, but I, you know, when, and you've all been in this as long as I have. It is so frustrating. You know, I look my wife, my son in the eye. They've seen the video. They've heard me tell the stories and they're going, yeah, 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 yeah. But I know what's going on. By, and I'm sounding paranoid now. I know what's going on behind those eyes and they're going you know is he crazy and eh, i don't know i don't know you and you guys you know you until you see one and you know it for yourself what you've seen you you can't swallow this 100 percent. stay tuned for more bigfoot and beyond with cliff and bobo we'll be right back after these messages I'm still a big believer in the, not only do they, and I remember you, Bobo, talking about when you turned on the, 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 the infrared illuminator, one was coming across a pond, I think, towards you, and you turned on the illuminator and it turned around and took off. 
Yeah, yeah, that was me actually with the camera. I was just trying to record the sounds because it was something big was splashed around in the water, and we had Sasquatches around us earlier that night. We're thinking that's got to be them, and I had the I had one of those Sony cameras with the one LED in front, early night shot sort of thing, and it was like maybe a foot above the ground. I was sitting by the campfire. There was no fire going on, but it was all dark, and this thing, this thing woke, or Bobo woke me up, and I think it woke Bobo up. Um, so uh, I, I had the camera and about maybe a foot above the ground and I was just going to turn it on just to record the sound. Cause this is way back in the early days. I didn't have a lot of technology and all that sort of stuff, you know, I didn't have therms or even recorders were, were very limited by battery and, um, storage and stuff at that point. So, and I, I turned on the rec- uh, the video camera to record the sounds, but I didn't know the night shot was on. And then the, that night shot, that one led illuminator came on and immediately, immediately at the same time all sound in the lake across the pond there stopped. And I never heard it again after that. And I say, well, that's a, that's a very strong coincidence. I have absolutely no doubt that, 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 that they can sense infrared. I also will go a step further. And, you know, the, 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 the marked lack of game cam photos, considering the number of game cams that are out there, which is, if not millions, hundreds of thousands uh, that they've managed to avoid, I think they can sense electrical fields. Undoubtedly. Yeah, they're, they're sensing something. I always go with the hearing. Like, I think they can hear the electronics, but they, they might be able to sense it else out. Well, I, may, may, maybe hearing is, is, is the right word. Uh, but you know how, like, pigeons can, can know where north is, that kind of stuff. They've they, 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 they got an extra sense that 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 we don't have uh, that that tells them that there's 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 something over there that's generating a little some sort of an electrical field and for whatever it is I don't want to go close to it. Yeah, you know, the f- first time I thought of that, I was camping with Bobo up at uh, Bluff Creek, and we um, we'd walked around that night. We thought there was one in the area because of sounds we we're hearing, and we went to bed. And then I set my recorder up, and at the time I was using mini disc recorders because little hard drive recorders just didn't exist yet, you know, or at least not in my price range. They didn't. Maybe they did, but uh, I had a mini disc recorder, and um, they make a little bit of noise, and they could only record for about seventy five minutes, seventy four minutes, I think it was, or you know, not very long anyway, hour, hour and a half, and um, and. We kind of laid down and we're sleeping outside the tent and just on the ground and that thing was churning away recording and we kind of halfway dozed off. And then we were awakened by something really close to camp, like in these bushes that maybe 30, 40 feet away, doing this strange like growl, hiss sort of sort of thing. And um and I go, oh crap. And then I, I and and then it went away and I checked the recorder, it had stopped. And I think, and I believe it happened right because we checked the time. I think it happened within like two or three minutes after the recorder stopped. Yeah, two minutes. Yeah, so yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah, and right after the recorder stopped, and that, that's the first time it dawned on me like there's something else up, man. They're they're sensing something about electronics. Maybe they're hearing it. Maybe it's something else, like you're saying. In this case, it was a, a, a sort of a change of circumstance. Yeah, yeah, huh. They're weird critters, man. I'll give them that. They are a weird species. I think the other thing you're thinking about, Mike, was uh, when I was that night, when I had my first full, you know, crazy encounter, I knew that, like, it was like, oh, my God, you know, the first time I knew that for sure it was a Sasquatch and it scared the crap out of me. I had that night vision. And uh, when I was 
messing with the focus. There was the knobs in the front, and the battery cover knob was the same as the the focus and the other knobs. And I and as I un, thought I was focusing it, I was unscrewing the battery. And as soon as the battery turned off, as one of the things screamed, and within seconds they all ran across the metal towards me, like bluff charged me, and then ran behind me. Wow. Yeah, same idea, same idea. And that, that's, that in a way, is, is sort of the reverse. The electrical current went off in both those cases, and that generated activity. Yeah, and you know, you know how they react, like when somebody leaves camp or drives away, sometimes you get knocks or something. And it's, it's very often about when something changes, they react in some sort of way. Well, so um, knowing as much as you do about Sasquatches, having so much experience in the woods, what kind of um, advice would you give to our listeners? Like, what's the, in your opinion, what are some of the best tactics to actually go out and get something and bring something back? And when you say something, I assume you mean a photograph. <laughs> uh, anything. No, I mean anything, really. Yeah. My suggestion would be, if you own an iPhone or an Android, to spend 250 bucks, get one of those little baby thermals the size of a, of a domino and get an extension cord of eight feet long from Amazon and use that when you go camping. And that way you don't have to expose yourself. You haven't spent a lot of money and you can easily record and you can look around 360 degrees with this little tiny thing poking out of your tent or whatever. Uh, it's, it's an inexpensive way to get in on, uh, on, the, on, on the, the program and a very good way to record it too. Now, how would you entice the Sasquatches to come into camp? Is it all Zagnut candy? Is it all like food and sounds or is it anything yeah, else yeah, you yeah. do? I don't, I don't know what else to do. If, you know, if I, if, if other than food and sounds, I really don't know what else there is. Mm -hmm. And I, I'd love to have some suggestions. Well, I got one, actually, um, because I'm just thinking of the other senses right now. Have you ever tried some sort of olfactory attractant, like some sort of smells that they would find interesting? Well, that was the peanut butter. Like, oh, because you smeared it on the outside. Right, right. You know, a friend of mine, uh, Chris Minier, um, uh, who we haven't had on the show yet. He'd be a great guest to have on the show. But um, Chris Minier, um, the night he saw his, he soaked a bandana. And what is that really, really cheap aftershave? What the um, Aqua Velva? Is that right? Is that? Yeah, he, he, he just went to Walgreens or something, bought the cheapest one off the shelf. And he just soaked bandanas in that and hung those out a couple hundred yards from camp. And and that night he saw one. Really? Oh, now that's a good idea. A strange smell. Yeah, because, you know, anything changes in their territory. They got to figure out what's going on. Their life might depend on it. Yeah, that's a very good idea. Yeah, that hadn't occurred to me. Yeah, because I think we're always going for the foods. I mean, I think food may or may not work. I mean, I've never had it work, but other people like you have and Tom Shea and other people. Um, but I, I think it's just a matter of interest. It's like those oh, those pheromone chips. You remember playing with those things? Like, I, that doesn't smell sexy. Like, what in the world is going on? But it sure might. No, but it might, it might entice them. It might entice their, uh, their curiosity enough to think, like, what the heck is that? Well, they, you're, now we're talking about sort of uh, attracting them on a, on a sexual level. Well, yeah, yeah. Bobo could put his wig on, but. I have, and I've forgotten about this, but you, you know this business about when they'll trade. I've put out on that, on that stump. I, I don't even remember what it was. 
uh, a little rubber ducky or some three pennies or something. I don't even remember what it was, but a little something on the stump. And the next morning that was gone and there were three pebbles sitting on the stump. So there was, a, there was an exchange there, which I've heard of. I've heard of other people talking about that. Uh, as a matter of fact, I've noticed now to my horror uh, around the Uari, which is a big, there's a, it's a big area. You go into different remote campsites and where, the, where, the, where there will be a stump, you will sometimes see a little toy or three, three in one place there was three pennies and it circled with magic marker and somebody had written on the stump, please don't move these. <laughs> that, that sort of thing. So there's somebody out there that's doing this little bait business. It's, it's not me. So, Mike, um, you've—I I met you out in British Columbia. I think the first time I ever met you were on, yeah, up on the island there, Vancouver Island. Uh, but I mean, we've been to the Olympic Peninsula together. I mean, I think yeah, I might have been in Florida together or something at one point. North Carolina, all over the place, really. I mean, uh, um, we've bumped heads at a lot of different places. You and I spent the night together uh, up on the, up on the hillside in Vancouver Island. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it was a great night. I don't think any Bigfoot stuff happened, but it was great hanging out with you. I just made a new friend, you know. Um, where have you not gone that you would still want to go? Nowhere. I, I, no, I can't think of anywhere that I'd want to go. Yeah, because you did it. You just up and did it. I, well, I, you know, I, 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 just like you guys, you've sort of been everywhere now. Uh, and uh, the reason I... He, he, I I had such good luck in the Uwari, and it's only thirty miles away. It would be a, a waste. Of, I mean, I love the Northwest. What one of the things that you got to do that um, I know another guy who's done it as well. But um, you took you're you're an accomplished you know like sailor basically. You're, you're you have you're, you have nautical a nautical background. You didn't you take a boat up to British Columbia and, and like sail the islands and. Uh, well, actually, it did. Uh, it, I, it it wasn't British Columbia. It was Quebec. It, 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 you can see if you if you look on a map of Quebec up towards Labrador, you'll see, and you can see this on any map. You can see it from outer space. It's a sixty mile wide ring uh, with a forty mile wide island in the middle of it. It looks like a great big wedding ring, and there's a there's a river that runs f from it down about thirty miles to where they built a, an enormous hydroelectric dam, and this is about 120 miles from from the St. Lawrence. To, so you you drive up along the St. Lawrence, and then you take a hard left, and you go up this dirt road for 120 miles, and you come to this hydroelectric dam end of the road. And you can drive around to the top of it, and there's like a place where people put boats in. There's nobody around except the people who run the dam. Uh, and we we went up there three times before we were we were trying to circumnavigate the island. And the first time we had an open sixteen foot sailboat with a little motor, and uh, the second day in. It got all foggy and rainy, and you couldn't see anything. So all we could do was just set up our tent and sit in, in the uh, 
tent for like three days. It was. We went on and on and on. And we, we anyway, we ran out of time. So we had to do, we wouldn't have had time to go around. So we turned around and came back. Next year, we went back with a motorboat. And I had calculated how much gas I was going to need by driving up and down the Delaware River. And I really screwed it up because <laughs> I, I brought what I thought was going to be more than enough to get around this 40-mile island and back down to the dam. And it was rapidly apparent at the end of the first day that my gas consumption uh, estimates were way off. So we had to turn around and bring that back. The next year, we went up with a 17-foot little sailboat that had a little tiny cabin on it so you could sleep in it, which was a big help. And that we sailed, we did sail it around. It took us 12 days. We went around it. Uh, it was beautiful, beautiful. Nobody, nobody around. It was it just wonderful country, nice weather. Uh, it, it, it was terrific. It's called the Manicouagan Reservoir. And if you look on a map of Quebec up towards Labrador, You'll see a big, you can't miss it. It's a big 60 mile wide circle and it stands out like a, like, I don't know what, the moon or something. But uh, it was a neat place. Anyway, I thought, boy, that'd be a good place for a squatch. Yeah, it's an ecological reserve. I have it on the map here and it's called the Louis Babel or Louis Babel Ecological Preserve. I mean, there's so much great habitat in Canada. It's in- just throw a pin, like, you know, put up a map and throw darts and you can't go, three out of four are going to land in a good spot, you know, for habitat. You're right. I don't think I knew about anything much going on in Quebec. It always seemed to be the northwest part of Canada. But but I sort of thought, well, why not? Yeah, yeah, they're, they're, they've got to be up in there. I've got a couple things from the main border area in Quebec, but not, but. I think it's just because so few people are there. So many people overlook the idea. It's like, oh, Washington has so many Bigfoots. Yeah, but Washington has a ton of people. That's why there's so many in Cal- reports from California as well. They always overlook the people element in the reports. You know, where there are no people, you aren't going to have any Sasquatch reports. Well, one last thing. You had a pretty funny story, Mike, your Bluff Creek expedition. No, I'll tell you briefly. I put an ad in the paper. I wanted somebody to go to Bluff Creek squatching with me. This guy answered the paper, said, yeah, and he had a brand brand new Ford Explorer that we could use. It's like, great. So I go, oh, yeah, I've been camping, blah, blah, blah. I go pick him up. It turns out he's a, a, a meth head uh, bouncer at a bar in wherever the hell we were, San Francisco, I guess. And uh, anyway, he was a complete jerk, absolute jerk. Got out there, and we, we went up to Bluff Creek and camped. Up, there was a there's a dirt road that leads up past the lake, and we went up in there and camped. And I gave him the uh, I gave him the uh, the uh, uh, video camera, and I had the rifle, and he immediately started seeing things. Uh, oh, there's one, there's one, video here, video there, blah, 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 blah. We had the car parked pointing slightly downhill. And it was a very shallow downhill. And he decided I was going to sleep in the tent. He was he was leery about sleeping outside. So he slept in the car. 
I wake up in the morning. The car is now 50 yards down the road, run off the road with its nose in the bushes. He says, oh, I woke up in the middle of the night and I turned on the headlights and I saw one and uh, I thought I would I would creep up on it or something. I don't even remember now. Anyway, so I, he said, I didn't want to turn the engine on. So I coasted down there and then I ran off the road and fell asleep. Well, and you, this is a big RV. We, we couldn't get it back on the road. And even if we could, the battery was dead because he'd gone to sleep and left the headlights on. I hiked down to Fish Lake, which is a couple of miles, and I ran into a couple there. They're driving along, and I flagged them down. They took me to the ranger station. I talked to the ranger, and I showed him my, you know, investigator ID, blah, blah, blah. And he very nicely drove me back up there. And he said, and Bobo, you know this as well as I do. He said, he said, be careful up here. From, he said, he said, all these guys growing pot up. And he said, and I'm the only law around. <laughs> and uh, anyway, we got up there and he jump started the uh, car for me. Fine. Okay. So uh, the car, we got the car running. He, the ranger goes away. Then the next day, we drove down to Bluff Creek. We were up, and we drove down to the creek itself and parked a car, and we started walking down along the side of the creek. And he said, stop, stop. He said, there's, there's, there's people over there or something like that. And I said, yeah, 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 yeah. He said, no, 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 there are, there are, there are. So I said, okay, we'll, we'll turn around and we'll walk up the creek. So we walk up the creek and we go for about half an hour. And he says, there's somebody behind that tree there. He motioned, he said, the guy motioned to me to go back. And I said, yeah, right. I said, okay, okay look. I said, we're going to go up ahead here up the creek and we're going to hide and we're going to wait. And if he comes up here, we'll confront him. So, of course, we went up there and hid and nobody showed up. He hadn't seen anything at all. He was the guy had now freaked himself out that that night he said, I got I, I got to go have a drink. I got to go to town and have a drink. And I said, well, I'm not I'm not going. I said, just OK. Well, he took the car. And he didn't come back until 10 o'clock the next morning. Uh, I mean, at, at this point, he he had done, from the very beginning, everything he did was was stupid and wrong and really annoying and, and delusional. So I said, that's it. We're going. Packed up in the car, drove back. He dropped me off at the airport, and that was it. I never saw him again. I, I, you know, I, I, I'm really sorry you reminded me of that. That was one of the most unpleasant four or five days, whatever it was, that I've spent in my life. Uh, which is, I guess, why you go Bigfooting alone now. Yeah, I do. I do. I really like it by myself. I do. <laughs> well, Mike, thanks so much for coming on Bigfoot and Beyond today. It has been far too long since uh, all three of us got to hang out and just shoot the poop for a little while, man. I miss you. I miss you, man. You're, you were a, kind of a fixture in my Bigfooting life for a long time, and now you're, we live on opposite coasts, and we just don't cross paths very often. So thanks very much for coming on and hanging out for a while. You are very welcome. It's been great talking to you all, and I wish you all the best. And 
my I've got a son living in uh, Santa Cruz now. So the next time I'm out that way, I'll call look you guys up. Yeah, give us a holler. Maybe I'll drive. We can all rally in Bluff Creek and have a good trip out there without all the weirdness. Yeah, I'll leave the guns at home too. <laughs> Your choice. <laughs> all right, guys. Well, thanks very much for having me on. It's been great talking to you, and uh, uh, I hope we can do this again soon. Take care. Bye bye. Bye. Well, I knew we'd have an entertaining show with Cliff. I love Mike, man. It's been far too long since we got to hang out with that guy. So he's got a, he's got a ton of stories. He's yeah he's put in the time and he he's been rewarded for his time. I mean he's frustrated he hasn't got more of it, but he got that great thermal footage. I mean I mean Stacy's is great because it's so big and you know it it dwarfs me. And it's you can see it head to toe in one frame. Yeah, the Stacy Brown video, the thermal video of the Sasquatch from Florida, right? Yeah, and then um, Mike's is you know it's a. It's 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 great because it shows more behavior. But when we did the recreation, it was it wasn't really much bigger than me. Not you know not terribly bigger. Well, they're not all eight eight or nine footers, man. There's a whole lot of six and a half and sevens out there. I think. Right. You know what else I forgot was that was the one I got poison. I got uh, poison ivy doing that recreation crawling up to the stump. All right, Cliff. Well, shoots. That was a good one, and we got more good ones coming up. So I'm excited. These are these have been really good episodes. Yeah, I've got a couple wonderful guests just trying to schedule them at this point. And, you know, there's so many jobs happening on speaking engagements and stuff right now. So I know that you and I are very, very busy. So we'll, we'll work our butts off, get some of these things scheduled and um, kind of share our conversations with our listeners, who we really appreciate, by the way. Thank you very much. Yeah, thanks a lot, you guys. And keep on sharing and liking those buttons. Yeah, love those buttons. You're like frog and toad. Well, this is not my button. Everyone, thanks so much for listening. We appreciate the support. We appreciate you guys sharing it and liking it, you know, hitting the buttons that give us the clicks so we can do more of these. So until next time, keep it squatchy. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Bigfoot and Beyond. If you liked what you heard, please rate and review us on iTunes. Subscribe to Bigfoot and Beyond wherever you get your podcasts and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Bigfoot and Beyond Podcast. You can find us on Twitter at Bigfoot and Beyond, that's an N in the middle, and tweet us your thoughts and questions with the hashtag Bigfoot and Beyond. 